Hello and welcome to the Civic Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Sylvie Legere. Our goal with this show is to offer unbiased, fact-based information that acts as a starting point for you to get involved and have a larger positive impact on your community. When it comes to civic and community leadership, most of us don't know where to start and we definitely don't feel we have all the facts. That's why each episode of The Civic Leader goes beyond the headlines to bring you facts and data points that will help you understand the role of business, government, and its citizens in the quest to improve and solve society's greatest challenges. We hope you'll join us each and every week as we discuss facts around today's biggest policy issues. Let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to the Civic Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Sylvie Lejar, and our goal with this show is to offer unbiased, fact-based information that acts as a starting point for you to get involved with and have a larger impact on your community. You know, when it comes to civic and community leadership, most of us don't know where to start, and we definitely don't have all the facts. So that's why each episode of Civic Leader goes beyond the headlines to bring you the facts and the data point that will help you understand the role of business, government, and its citizen in the, in the quest to improve and solve society's greatest challenge. So we hope you'll join us each and every week as we discuss the facts and important information around today's biggest policy issue to help you make you more informed, motivated, and have a really positive effect in your community and the world at large. So I'd like to get started. And um, today we will be discussing uh, civic engagement. And uh, today is a, what we'll do is we will be reading a policy circle brief entitled uh, civic engagement. And the goal of the policy circle is really uh, for women to come prepared, having read this brief, and engage in a really constructive discussion about what civic engagement means to them and how they see uh, their future self as a civically engaged citizen in, in their community. So I'm thrilled because to do this today, I have, I'm delighted to have Kim Borchers. Kim, thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sylvie. I'm excited to be here with you. So I'm going to give a really short introduction of who you are, although it might be a bit long, because you are the ultimate uh, civically engaged uh, citizen in, in your community. I know that you are so devoted and dedicated to the well-being of uh, all citizens in your community of Topeka, um, Kansas. And I'd like to give a really short bio, and I'm going to refer a bit to my notes, but uh, you're currently the president and owner of a firm that's called Big Dur Bird Dog Recruitment and Consulting. And your firm focuses primarily on placing senior level talent mm -hmm. at the highest levels in state and federal government, which is really unique. And um, prior to opening your firm, you led, uh, you were the executive director of leadership development at a national think tank called the, the Foundation for Government Accountability. And you created the organization's Talent Bank Project. You've spent 20 years in grassroots movement. And I love this. It all started when you were a young mom fighting pornography and your local library yeah. and who like I'm sure you could not have imagined how um, 
this start led you to get involved politically and your political involvement led you to become chief of staff for Governor Sam Brownback of Kansas. And then you became his, um, you also were his director of appointments for boards and commission, as well as director of personnel for the, for the governor's uh, transition team. So, so that's, that's just one piece of what you've done uh, politically. Today, uh, you serve as director for Kansas uh, Delta Dental, a board member for the Eisenhower Public Service Series, which trains women for uh, leadership, political leadership. A, um, you're a board member for Care Parvo Latin School, a volunteer for the Topeka Civic Theater, and an advisor for Anti-Sex Trafficking Task Force, uh, Freedom Now USA, and uh, Jack Kay. Um, so you live in Topeka with your husband of 25 years, and you have uh, one daughter who recently got married, uh, another in college, and, and you have a son, actually, and you have a son who's in, uh, who's in high school. Um, you're, you're also, you were a speaker at the Policy Circle Conference in 2018. You've participated at an event with the Independent Women's Forum, and you also is a mentor and a coach for Michigan's Republican Women League of Our Own uh, that is really focused on mentoring women who want to engage politically. So you're doing, you're doing it all, Kim. I don't know how you do it, honestly. My husband said not one more thing. Something has to go. You have to learn to say no, right? You have to say no. But you're a passionate person. And, and not only that, you're passionate about community uh, engagement and you know your strength. And one thing I didn't say is you actually hosted a radio show um, where it was new, News You Can Use, right, was the name of the radio show. Yeah. So news how do you... You know, before we start, and what we'll be doing is walking through this brief on civic engagement, but I'd love to hear from you uh, why, you know, why you think it matters so much. And I know your personal mission in life is also to ignite the potential in others and engage them in, uh, in civic, civic life. So talk a little, just tell us a little bit about you know, your, your priorities when you engage in, in your community? You know, I think any engagement has to deal with a fundamental passion for what you are working on. And um, I think it's about connection with people and listening to folks and hearing them out. I think that's where you're successful unless you walk into a room and you're passionate about something. You also have to listen to other people um, who, may, who may or may not agree with you. Um, I think for me personally, what I found 20 years ago is that there were not a lot of women who are engaged in politics who could actually mentor me through this process, especially as a grassroots person. So over the past 20 years, I have made part of my commitment to mentor other women because many times you felt a little by yourself. And so I wanna make sure that other women, when they are in a very similar situation, whether it's trying to get their kids back to school over COVID-19, or they're fighting for their kids, um, you know, whether it's school choice or whatever it is, to, to arm them appropriately um, and really kind of, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel, help them so they're further ahead than I was. Right, and, and you're really big creating a network 
right, for yes. women to have a path to engage in, and actually, and that's right. why, you know, Kim has been really involved in, in the, in the policy circle based on, on this experience, because you've been in a position to appoint people, and you fully understand, well, what is the path? It doesn't just happen. It's not because you're great at your job that you are going to get appointment, and also appointed. And also, I think you need to think about, imagine yourself in this, in serving, in, in public service, which uh, we, we, some, we, we don't, we don't. So no, um, we, we don't. that's your commitment to mentoring. And that's why I ask you to be part of reading this brief and this conversation on civic engagement. I have to admit, you know, I'm originally from Canada. Um, civic engagement, I feel, is uniquely an American concept because in America, people rely so much on their community, on each other, to uh, to to better everybody's lives, and and uh, that's what Tocqueville noticed about the American spirit, and it's it's rooted. There's no one else to rely on but but ourselves. But it's also a very hard concept to grasp, and I've being the founder of the policy circle and involved in this. And I have to admit that I did not fully understood what it was when I started the policy circle initially. And it's through engaging in complex conversation, understanding the issues better, that all of a sudden you kind of see what it means to be a civic leader. And, and right. that's why the whole purpose of, of this podcast. So... Um, so let's start with the brief. Uh, folks, the, the brief is called Civic Engagement. It is available on the PosseCircle.org uh, website, especially if you are a circle leader, a circle me member, you can access the, the library. And uh, I will start with uh, the introduction, and Kim, we'll turn to you as to why, why it matters. You know, the, the introduction to this is what is civic engagement, which is what we kind of talked about. Why is it important? And how can you become more involved in your community? Uh, in this brief, we seek to provide our circle members with a deep understanding of the importance of Americans' participation in civic life. And we'll also explain how the policy circle helps build social capital, which is a crucial element of society, strongly related to civic duty, and how you can just become a more engaged citizen and mentor others to become engaged citizen. So there's this introduction. Every brief, we start with an introduction and providing some historical context. And I think on civic engagement, it's really important. So there's this dialogue that says, uh, you know, well, doctor, what have you got? A republic or a monarchy? A republic, if you can keep it. So this is from Benjamin Franklin. Um, Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia reportedly asked the above question to Benjamin Franklin, who had taken part in the secret deliberations of Constitutional Convention of 1787. His response underscores the responsibility that citizens have to in maintaining this experiment known as the United States of America the success of which rests upon civic engagement. The Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement finds in this, their report, Civic Engagement and the Changing Transition to Adulthood, and in the brief, there is a link to this report. But here's a quote. Today's young adults are less engaged in civic and political activities than their predecessor were 30 years ago. One reason, we argue, is that other aspects of young adulthood have also changed dramatically. Uh, 
As a result, it's not surprising that voting and other forms of engagement are also being delayed. The delay is nevertheless harmful because young adults lose political and civic influence and opportunities to develop skills and networks. And unfortunately, rates of civic engagement have been fading for decades. And there's a Wallet Hub study, and there's a link to it, explores evidence of a growing lack of political engagement among all Americans. So why has this once cherished American value declined the last 50 odd years? And what can we do to reinvigorate it? And why is civic engagement so important? And you know, Kim, one, one thing that resonates with me is this idea of network in, in civic engagement. And I don't know if it does, it certainly does, I know for you as well, because you have to be part of a network for as a human being, but also to advance your goals and, and advance your career. Maybe you have some thoughts on that. Absolutely. You know, no one solves um, a problem in a community as one person. It is a group of people. And so as you can rally individuals who have different skill sets that they can bring to the table, it moves the ball down the field. And so there's, I think any great leader recognizes they don't know everything. So it's really important that they surround themselves with other people who, who might be smarter and better in other areas than they are. And other, you know, for many leaders, they're just really good leaders. They know how to bring together a group of talented people, get the vision laid out and cast, and then they're all working in the same direction. So anything that I ever worked on um, in politics or in my community was never done solo. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we forget that. And I think as much as women value relationships, uh, relationships for their lives, support for family lives, sometimes, and this is all the studies show, is that the breadth of the network that women have is one of the reasons why there is a leadership gap uh, politically, but also in enterprise. So, so uh, Kim, can I invite you to read the case study in, in the brief? Absolutely. Running for local office is one of the best ways to make a difference in a community, but most people don't know where to even begin. In Austin, it's not so difficult with the Center for Austin's Futures AT Accelerator Program. The nonprofit organization seeks to identify, educate, and support local civic leaders and the general public regarding public policy and service. And it's a three-month program specifically trains and educates potential candidates for local offices, such as city council or local boards and commissions. Mentors in the program are current or former elected officials and community leaders who teach participants classes on various issues pertaining to the community's land use and economic development to social equity and homelessness. What makes the AT Accelerator program stand out is its tech accelerator model, like Shark Tank, but applied to local politics. Participants are immersed in the world of government operations and issues facing their community and end their experience with a pitch that enables each participant to put forward a policy platform that they would advocate in a hypothetical race. Regardless of the route participants take after they complete their training, the program seeks to give citizens the tools they need to handle the big issues that growing cities face. 
So yeah, it's a, I participated in one of their uh, session in Austin, and what's interesting is they really they invite um, leaders of each of the agencies, the departments in the city. So like when I was there, I was the finance uh, director who came and presented the finances of Austin. So they do that for each of the sectors of Austin. So the people that are selected to be part of this program become aware of get an overview of what's going on, what are the issues in Austin, and use that information to develop a platform, and then they give a pitch. And then they invite about 300 people or something to kind of vote, to vote them in or vote them out. So really a Shark Tank kind of model. Actually, they do it. So it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a unique model to educate people about how city government functions, which a lot of times you just, you just don't know. Right. Absolutely. And I think our, our recent experience makes that the case. Most people don't really understand how their local government works. We think national because we see those folks on TV or maybe the state senator. But if you ask most people who's my county commissioner or my city council, they wouldn't even be able to tell you. And yet they're the closest to them. Right. And, and we pay taxes to all of these different agencies of the park district, the library, the village, you know, depending. But you know, you need to look closely at your tax bill and how it's being, how the money is being spent. So we have a paragraph here about why it matters. Um, democracy, in our case, a federal republic, depends on citizens' participation. When citizens are engaged, they can exchange ideas, invest in finding solutions, and employ civilized discourse to address the issues facing their communities. People have the freedom to participate in and influence government policy, acting as a check on government. The media are also present and independent of government influence and provide equal access to information. All of this unites people under a shared purpose, which builds trust, empathy, and human connections and support bases. So there's a link here to a TED Talk about civic engagement and an expert talking about making it sexy again. So we invite you to look at that, watch that movie. The briefs are multimedia and it's um, Eric Liu, Why Ordinary People Need to Understand Power. So, um, so Kim, let's put it in context and maybe you can take on that section on what is civic engagement and you and I can discuss that a little bit. So I'll turn it over to you. How engaged are you in your community? Perhaps you serve on the school board or the PTA or you're a member of a local charity. Perhaps you read your local paper or quarterly newsletters from your municipality and vote at election time, or perhaps not. Between work, family, and other commitments, it can be hard to find time to pay attention and get involved, but civic engagement is an essential part of exercising your voice in our society. But what does civic engagement mean? Thomas Ehrlich, author of Civic Responsibility in Higher Education, offers the following definition. Civic engagement means working to make a difference in the civic life of our communities and developing the combination of knowledge, skills, values, and motivation to make that difference. It means promoting the quality of life in a community through political and non-political processes. A morally and civilly responsible individual recognizes himself or herself as a member of a larger social fabric and therefore considers social problems to be at least partly his or her own. And such an individual is willing to see the moral and civic dimensions of issues, 
to make and justify informed moral and civic judgments and to take action when appropriate. And taking action can include some of the key focal points of civic engagement. Yeah, there's um, political participation. So there's different points here on the civic engagement. One is political participation through voting, voter registration, being an election judge. And we recorded actually one brief around election integrity that talks about those rules. Uh, educating Americans on government and history, volunteering in organizations that build community well-being, uh, advocating for legislation models, representing fellow citizens by appointment or uh, by election. So really you can see there's a broad spectrum of civic engagement here and all these actions demonstrate how civic engagement is about engaging people in a process of self-governance and values associated with fostering civic engagement are, and maybe Kim, you could take this one, uh, this part on, maybe you could reread values, you know. Trusting and respecting how a community wants to take action for itself, creating agency and power in people, particularly those most affected by an issue, nurturing or fostering healthier, stronger, happier places to live, Engaging community members in a process that affect them and their communities. Promoting transparency and participation. People engaged in their communities tend to be more invested in their community's health and well-being. And when people volunteer their time, skills, knowledge, and enthusiasm to promote the quality of their community, they exhibit civic leadership by finding ways to positively impact their communities for the common good. They see their role in a larger context beyond only what, what affects them and their families to what affects society as a whole. So I think this is a good, it's a good description. I mean, it, it just covers everything. Do you feel like it represents, you know, your, your understanding of civic engagement? Absolutely. You, you know, I think, Sylvie, you kind of mentioned that when you were running through my bio, I'm thinking, I've done all that. <laughs> Because when you first start in these things, it's not like you're thinking, what's the end game? You're, you're in that moment. And I think part of that is a learning process. And as, as we're sitting here, we always want our kids to be lifelong learners, right? We always hear that phrase. I think we as adults, we have to become lifelong learners. And I think it's through the civic engagement process that you, you learn that. And you also learn to interact with people. You get out of your bubble. So you know, it's interesting you brought up how I started out in, in, in this area. It was working on pornography. Many of the same people who we were not on the same side of that particular position, we are now working together uh, to stop human trafficking in our local community, right? But it's from years and years of interacting, we folks may realize, I don't agree with that person on this, but they're a good person. I know they're invested in other areas. Um, so I think but that's- It's about building rapport. It's about building relationships. And I think that's what, that's what we forget. And I know that uh, I started, I was on a PTA committee on uh, safety and civics. And I was really about biking, was really my starting point. But that led me to ensure that we have parent representation on the Transportation Commission because that it was important to have that voice there. So someone who was on this committee was also on Transportation Committee, on the Transportation Commission. There was also a parent who became involved and, and got elected to the Park District because it relates to 
the safety and and uh, of children being able to go to school safely and you start to develop this more like systems thinking of and connecting the dot between the different entities that that influence and to use your expression move the ball forward um in, in a positive way so Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that, that, you know, a lot of times we think about activism when you think civic engagement, you're like, well, super political engagement. But sometimes it's more being a leader of coordinating, um, coordinating different entities and people to uh, to make a difference and, and all for the well-being of a community. Well, you, I, I think about civic engagement, the work as on the Topeka Civic Theater. I mean, that's Talk about a networking of people who come. I always tell people, I think of the theater as it's like a bouquet of flowers. Everybody comes in looking different, but when you put that together, it's just absolutely beautiful. It's this beautiful bouquet. And I think that's what the theater does. It brings, it's theaters like sports, right? I mean, everybody loves it and, and no one really cares what anyone's position is on a political issue or whatever. You just love theater and you want to do a great show. And so I think those relationships actually build out an understanding in communities for people. And I, and I go back to this. People may say, I may not agree with that person on everything, but I really like them. And I know they care about this community. I know they're invested in it. And I think that's part of what we as women can really bring to the table when we talk about civic engagement. Um, I don't know. It's Maybe it's that nurturing thing that we're wired with to, to try and help everybody get along. It doesn't mean we can't yeah. be passionate. I mean, it, it doesn't mean we can't be passionate about something, and but I, I think we do nurture the ability um, for adults to get along, just like we do with our kids. That's how I think. I think also we care about community because we lean on community to bring up uh, for our kids. We we value the community in which our kids become young adults, become adults. And that's where they learn uh, values. That's where they make long, lifetime Friends, and then we hope that our kids will 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 recreate wherever they are the community in which in which they they grow. It's a positive one, and if it's not, then do what they can to really enhance it. So I think that's what that's why we value it so much. And um, and it's I think I love this brief and taking the time to think about it. The next section is about history, and it's and I'm going to start reading it a little bit. To me, is really important to understand it because it dates. It's a profoundly human characteristic to build community and to be engaged in community. And we have a great quote here on which actually we built the policy circle is this concept of civic duty dates back to the ancient world. In ancient Athens, young men pledged to never bring disgrace to this, our city, by any act of dishonesty or cowardice, nor ever desert our suffering comrades in the ranks. We will fight for the ideals and sacred things of the city alone and with many. We will revere and obey the city's law and do our best to incite a like respect and reverence in those above us who are prone to annul and set them at naught. We will strive unceasingly to quicken the public sense of civic duty that thus in all these ways we will transmit this city not only not less but greater, better, and more beautiful than it was transmitted to us. And... Um, I think that this this quote of the this is from the oath of um, Athens that the it's called the Athenian 
both um, is really tremendous and one that actually, sadly, should, should really be taught in, in our schools. So uh, there's another quote, is civic virtue was also an essential part of the fabric of society in ancient Rome. And this Roman virtue is turned in turn influence America's founding fathers. According to Mike Myatt and Forbes, our founding fathers were formed by and highly developed as a result of something most of our leaders today don't have, a classical education. So Kim, why don't you take the next paragraph around uh, Alexis de Tocqueville. In the 1830s, French sociologist and political theorist Alex de Tocqueville traveled to the United States and was struck by American civil society and civic engagement. He documented his observations in Democracy in America, explaining, if men who live in democratic countries had neither the right nor the taste to unite in political goals, their independence would run great risks. If they did not acquire the practice of associating with each other in ordinary life, civilization itself would be in peril. Almost 200 years later, Tocqueville's acknowledgments remain true. A healthy democracy requires civil associations and a society willing to work together for the common good. For this reason, modern day scholars are concerned by the apparent decline in civic engagement. Harvard political scientist Robert D. Putnam is well known for his writings on American civic participation and social capital. His influential book, Bowling Alone, published in 2000, examines how rates of participation in charity leagues, bridge clubs, groups like the NAACP and the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and churches and synagogues started to decline at the end of the 20th century. For more on Putnam and social capital, see Policy Circles Post, Social Capital, and the Value of Roundtable Discussion. So there's a the few numbers here. So um, um, there, there's one quote here that you know. Putnam describes social capital as uh, connections among individuals, social networks, and norms of reciprocity and trustworthiness um, that arise from them. A society of many virtuous but isolated individuals is not necessarily rich in social capital. So there are some key numbers. Civic engagement takes many forms, from volunteering to voting. Global estimates place the number of worldwide volunteers at close to 1 billion volunteers. According to the 2018 State of World Volunteerism Report, there's an equivalent of 109 million full-time workers. If the number of volunteers were to comprise a um, country, it would constitute the fifth largest country in the world, two places behind the U.S., 149 million employed people. On average, 30% of volunteers, um, formerly through volunteers, th volunteer through organizations, associations, and groups, while the remaining 70% uh, volunteer through informal engagement. Women um, also slightly volunteer or more likely to volunteer than men. In the U.S., levels of civic engagement have been falling in recent decades, as evidenced in Robert Putnam's work. Uh, this 2000, there's a 2011 report by the Civic Learning and Democratic Engagement National Task Force 
found that withdrawal into comfortable on class and wariness of others who are different persists, while public confidence in the national political institution erodes in a downward trajectory. A similar federal report produced in 2013 showed declines in 16 of 20 indicators of civic health, including falling rates of volunteerism, engagement with community organizations, and flagging trust in public institutions. As of 2019, only 17% of Americans say they have strong trust in government. And, um, you know, listeners, we are recording this uh, podcast at a very unique time in our world. This is it's called a COVID-19 crisis where uh, the threat of a coronavirus that is highly transmissible and could also um, uh, occur, you know, cause death in some vulnerable, vulnerable communities um, has been ending us and caused us to go into our government to impose a lockdown in our communities. And I wonder what this number is going to be after, uh, in the time that we are now, if it's already at 17%, because right now our government is preventing us from meeting, from engaging, from uh, face-to-face, from operating businesses, and and being free to be part of the community that that makes who we are uh, as Americans. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. When you read that number, I thought, would that be interesting today? Would it look different, right? Yeah, it would look different. So we, we also have like um, some statistics here about in terms of engagement, in terms of voting, which is really low. So civic engagement is also voting. Uh, by international st- standards, there's a 2018 Pew Research study that reported that the U.S. ranks 139th out of 172 world democracies and 26 out of 32 uh, OECD countries in terms of voter participation. Over the 140 million eligible Americans, over 140 million eligible Americans did not vote in the 14 midterms, um, which was the lowest uh, voter participation in 72 years. In the 2016 presidential election, only about 64% of voting population registered and voter turnout amounted to 55%. Um, meaning close to 92 million eligible American voters did not vote. And even so, 56% of Americans believe their communities can come together and solve the country's problem despite differing uh, political views. So again, it will be very interesting to see we are in an election year, and it will be very interesting to see what will be the voter uh, participation. Great. So... Kim, do you want to read a little bit about here? This next paragraph is around civic engagement, free markets, and the common good. Sounds great. Often it is said that good business requires civic engagement, but it's important to note the opposite is also true. Creating an environment based on free market principles where human creativity can flourish leads to greater political stability, opportunity, and stronger communities. Milton and Rose Friedman, in their popular book and 1977 TV series, Free to Choose, described the story of the United States as an economic miracle and a political miracle that was made possible by the translation into practice of two sets of ideas, both by curious coincidence, 
formulated in documents published the same year, 1776. One set of ideas was embodied in Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, the masterpiece that established Adam Smith as the father of modern economics. It analyzes the way in which a market system could combine the freedom of individuals to pursue their own objectives with the extensive cooperation and collaboration needed in the economic field to produce our food, clothing, and housing. The key insight was that no external force, coercion, or violation of freedom is necessary to produce cooperation among individuals who can benefit from participating. The second set of ideas came from the Declaration of Independence, drafted by Thomas Jefferson to express the general sense of his fellow countrymen. It proclaimed a new nation, the first in history established on the principle that every person is entitled to pursue his own values. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Economic freedom is an essential requisite for political freedom. By enabling people to cooperate with one another without coercion or central direction, it reduces the area over which political power is exercised. In addition, by dispersing power, the free market provides an offset to whatever concentration of political power may arise. Human flourishing happens best in a society where respect for individuals' rights self-determination, and free enterprise are promoted wherever rules are designed, family, small, and large businesses, and communities. Civic engagement thrives in a culture that celebrates individual empowerment and personal responsibility. I think it's a great, um, it's a great reminder and a great paragraph to, when you think about it. So now we're going to go in terms of the current challenges and some of the areas for reform, right? There's what are the obstacles to civic engagement? Why are people not engaging? There's the, um, there's the, this list really comes from the um, Annette Strauss Institute for Civic Life, lists the following five obstacles to civic engagement. And maybe one thing that we could do, Kim, is as I go through the, the obstacles, since you are incredibly involved, maybe you could share some of the ways that you counter or how you, you look at that obstacle as perhaps an opportunity, how, how you get over that obstacle. You know, that, and so, so we'll do this kind of little bit of back and forth forth here. You know, the first one here is the lack of civility. So for most citizens, yelling about politics is a turnoff, but the political arena is fast becoming a hostile uh, territory as politicians and their operatives rely on ad hominem attacks, name calling, innuendos over earnest efforts at persuasion. The lack of reasoned discussion and debate introduces noise and distraction into the national conversation and increasingly alienates the public. And I know that's a big reason why so many women don't engage lack of civility. What, how do you look at lack of civility? I guess you, you have to be the change that you want to see in the world, right? Well, I always pose the question, do you want to be right and change no one's mind? Or do you want to give a little and persuade them? You know, who, if someone walks up to you and calls you stupid or an idiot, I mean, you immediately turn people off, right? So I wouldn't say that um, I did it right from the very beginning, but I've mastered that in recognizing 
sometimes you have to step back from the situation. Um, I've also learned that sometimes what you type at first, don't send that. You need to sit on that for probably 24 hours. There's a rule of thumb uh, when I worked for Governor Brownback. If it feels too good, don't do it. So that was, <laughs> you know, when you get hard to, um, to put down the boxing gloves. And, uh, and then to also, I think another piece that's helpful in overcoming this idea of lack of civility is that it is human nature to go to anger, I think, when there's insecurity. When you don't know, when you don't have, when someone doesn't have all the facts or they are personally threatened by a situation, there's a real fear, they will automatically turn to aggressive discourse. And if you understand that, then, then you can recognize and acknowledge it. And also, you have to be in a position to not be, like you said earlier, not be the messenger. You can't change people's mind in just one conversation. You can only instill doubt. And, and I think if you go in a conversation with that idea of diffusing the lack that there will be lack, lack of civility, but your mission is to diffuse it and, and create civility, I think that's where, how you can overcome this. And, and you know what? I think too, Sylvie, you win other people over who are observing that because that's part of it. Yeah. So if, if you're engaged in the ad hominem attack, you just lose everybody. It's sort of like when we watch TV and they're all yelling at each other. I right, just, nobody I'm wins. You're not really convincing anybody. But if so, you're really calm, the number of people who I have, you have no idea they're watching and they're like, your response was so calm that I actually wanted to find out more. I, I was, you were convincing me and I didn't start out in the room being convinced by you, but your the way you responded is what changed my mind. And I just, you know, that's important for us to recognize, so. Yeah, it's hard though. It's hard not to uh, go into the street fight. Uh, <laughs> it's hard exactly. to, to just be, uh, to elevate. I call it like elevating the conversation and it takes, yeah. it takes a lot of courage. So the other hurdle here is the lack of attention to public affairs. So informed engagement is clearly preferable to uninformed. The research is clear that voters make different choices and consider a wider range of perspective when they are well-informed. Yet sources of substantive news are in decline and many citizens are losing the hard news habit and never developing a taste for quality information at all. And you know, this is at the heart, the reason why um, I was a co-founder of the Policy Circle, and it's the reason of the mission of the Policy Circle is to take the time to go beyond the headline, have a, a brief, so you have a 360 view of an issue instead of a very narrow perspective. So you can be you can be informed and understand all sides and aware what is the heart of the issue before engaging. And maybe you could share a little bit. I think that was your mission also with your, your radio show, right? I mean, that was the idea of like sharing the news that people can use in, in their lives and in the way they're engaged. Well, you know, we've heard the phrase confirmation bias. We have a tendency to, uh, we're attracted to the things that will confirm what we already believe about a situation. And I always tell people, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And, you know, one of the things that I would do whenever I did News You Need to Know, that was the name of the show, I would read multiple headlines from all of the mainstream, from the New York Times, from the Washington Post to the Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, you name it. And all of those headlines were about the exact same story. 
but you would never know it from the headline. Yeah. You go down and by the time you're in the middle of it, what they know, what studies have been shown, people read the first paragraph of a story in the paper and the last. And the last, yeah. And the middle. Why they're so long. (laughs) In the middle is where everybody's in agreement, but the headline just throws everybody off. Um, But I, I think it is important, and I found this to be the case, I refine and become a better person to defend my position when I know exactly what the opposing side believes. Um, I I think that's really important. And the other thing is, is it also makes me test, you know, where I'm at. I I could be wrong on an issue. And I think if you have the humility to admit that, that that's a really important part of working in a community. People, people, People don't like to follow folks who don't have humility. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think there's also like websites, um, you know, now that there's one that's called allsides.com uh, and that shows the news from the different perspective. And there's also the flip side and it's the intent to kind of show side by side, same news and, and what the different media outlets are saying about it. Cause there's always values that is included in the in the writing of uh, in the news report. It's never really objectives. So the other one here is lack of role models, and we touched on this early on. Citizens are made, not born, but the forces that can help mold citizenship are in decline. Fewer parents follow the news or talk about public affairs over the dinner table. Fewer politicians seems to exemplify leadership and devotion to public service. Fewer media outlets tell stories that inspire faith in civil society and the political process. Cynicism has become fashionable. So the lack of role model, I know that is your life mission. It's also my life mission to to be a role model, but also to bring to the forefront those people that I think are role model. So, and I think that's something that as a citizen, it's a form of, it's a real form of civic engagement, I think, to be a mentor and to elevate those who should be role model. Because a lot of times you don't know that you're, that you should be a role model, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to share with people, when you invest in other people, you have no idea um, the interest you will gain off that investment. And I'm not saying that you just do this for people because then maybe it later it will help you. But I think it not only transforms the life of the people who you're investing in, I think it transforms who you are. And that's what I have found personally. And I, you know, so many of the young women who I mentor, and I would say, too, I, I mentor young men. Little did I know that, but my name was cited when a young guy was interviewing with the governor, and he, he said to mention three names, and he goes, don't mention your former boss who you worked for. It was another governor. And I was told later that he had referenced me, and he was a young guy in his 20s. I had no idea that I was a mentor to him. And so I think that's just something to be mindful. People are watching you. Yeah. And and the little things, it can seem the littlest thing. You're like, that meant something to somebody? So I, I just think we have to be mindful of that. Yeah, no, it, it's true. Um, I'll tell just a quick uh, funny story. So I, when I turned 40, I decided to run 40 miles. And I had just moved in um, our community. And uh, I sent out an email. It was also a fundraiser for an organization here. But little did I know how many people afterwards told me how I inspired them to run a marathon 
run for their 40th birthday, to run 50 miles, like all of these trickling effects. And sometimes there's things that you do and you don't even, you don't realize that you become like a role model and an inspiration. <laughs> you just do it. So I love your, you know, you, you don't realize. And I think as women, we always so underestimate like the value of, of what we're doing and the importance of what we are doing. So I think like we're all role model and a lot of times we just forget to realize that. And it's a, it's a good thing to, uh, there should be a role model day, you know, nominate your role model, you know, thank your role model, your favorite role model in your community. And, and you know, Sylvia, it's not all rolled into one. When my girls were little, I had them pick 10 ladies at church that they really liked. And then I sent each of those women a letter to let them know that a little girl was watching them. And it was all for different reasons. You know, I mean, you know, oh, they're nice or, oh, she's a fashionista. I've got a kid who was, she's always been in fashion. And it was interesting, first of all, how that caught them off guard. But those women were an integral part to my daughter's lives in mentoring them over the years. Yeah. And so when they, that phrase, it takes a village, it really does take a village. And all of those women played a different part based upon what their skills and gifts are. And I think that's what we realize in civic engagement. Um, you know, you may not have a background in finance, but you may be a phenomenal fundraiser, right? And so those are all skill sets that you bring to the table for someone. And um, I just, I, I think we all have something to bring. Yeah, and I think recognizing those those role models that would be a good takeaway yeah. here. So the other one is lack of civic and political skills. Even an informed voter needs more tools to become a full participant in civic life. Mm -hmm. To make communities better places to live, engaged citizens need to learn the skills of communication, networking, and even running for public office. And I would like to add to this and just understanding how government works in general. And... Um, and it's nitty gritty and it's hard and it's just not that exciting, but you need to understand the way government functions in order to understand how you want to be part of it and how you want to influence it. So, and that is something that is not being taught even at school, especially in middle and high school where they teach sometimes activism of advocating, but advocating for an issue is not the same as just participating in civic life. So if you have some thoughts there as to, but I, this, this is kind of back to our case study that we shared at the beginning is really understanding the government structure of how uh, things are run in your community. Well, Sylvie, you, as you mentioned, um, as this is being recorded, we're in an interesting, we're in a pandemic, right? And, you know, our county was closed down before there were any cases of COVID-19 by a public health officer. And I'm thinking, I don't know who this person is and can he do that? And is there a process by which he needs approval from an elected official? And um, I've, you know, I've been involved in politics for 20 years and I've learned a lot about county government and the authority that a public health officer has in a community. Um, one could say that I don't necessarily like how much authority, so I'll probably work, be working on legislation to modify that. But I, 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 you're right. You can advocate for something, but if you don't know how the process works or who the decision makers are, you could be spending all of your energy and time in the wrong place. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I feel like I've been able to bring to the table. The number of people who know that I am civically engaged and politically engaged, people calling, I don't know what to do. Who, 
who makes a decision? Who should I write a letter to? How do I write that? And um, it was, it, I think you can always get, um, you know, you can make lemonade out of a lemon. We've had a bit of a lemon. So my, my lemonade has been helping people know about local government, how it works and who the decision makers are. And also saying there's two things you can do. If you don't like it, you can vote. And two, run for office. So I've actually got a gal who might be running for office through all this, but well, that's, yeah, that's, but, but it takes an investment of time and energy to aid people to know. But how to you know, this crisis really heightened people's need and craving to understand how local government works because yes. like, for instance, county level governments, you're like, why do we have this structure of county? Well, in this crisis, actually, I totally understand and, and value the importance of county. And it is surprising that our state government is not leaning much more onto this county structure to design an approach and a response that is county-based, um, based on number of cases of this pandemic, based on social practices, based on population density. That's why the county structure. And I was one who was all for eliminating counties. So, but now I get it. So now I get it. I'm like, okay, now I understand this administrative layer and um, that is great value. So I think this is a key one. And then there's a lack, the last one is lack of awareness, which I think we've touched on. Reversing the forces of incivility, misinformation, and the active marketing of cynicism will require concerted collective efforts. Yet many citizens are disillusioned and worry of political life and so lack the motivation to engage. And too often, our politics only reinforces that weariness. So that is true, and that's the whole purpose of this brief is to reverse that course, right? So, And yeah, Sylvia, I'll just add this. I think what's interesting, whenever we see something in our country, what has made this so unique, um, we'll see a tornado's hit it an area or a flood or a hurricane, or we'll hear about a terrible shooting. And we can be very empathetic to that, um, but we haven't personally experienced it. This pandemic in one way or another has hit everyone. That is a very rare occurrence in American history. And we've, you and I've talked about that phrase, we've all been in the same storm, but we're not all, all in the same boat. Yeah. And I think because this pandemic has impacted everyone, I am hopeful that that will change that concept of lack of awareness because now people are paying more attention to that. And then I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think you're right. So the next section here is about teaching civics. Um, teaching civics, civics education prepares students to be effective citizens, voters, and members of their communities by providing students with an understanding of how uh, democratic processes work, as well as how to engage in these processes and participate in the civic life of their communities. It often includes classroom instruction, government, history, and law, as well as components involving current events and service learning. So according to the 2018 Education Week study, most state embed civics into their teaching standards and leave the school districts to determine how to package civics instruction. Still, not all states require high school students to take a year-long civics or government class in order to graduate. And it shows, according to the Joe Foss Institute, 
a nonprofit focusing on educational programs to prepare young Americans as voters and inform community members. Only one third of Americans can name all three branches of government, and only one fifth can name at least two rights granted by the Declaration of Independence. So at the post-secondary level, concern about the nation's anemic civic health prompted the U.S. Department of Education to work with the Global Perspective Institute, now Global Perspective Institute, GPI, and the Association of American Colleges and University to assess the status and vibrancy of civic learning in colleges and university and determine how to animate education for democracy as a 21st century outcome of college. So there's a Center for the American Progress reports that the policy that has gained the most momentum in this in the standard that requires a high school student to pass U.S. Citizen, a citizenship exam or a version of it in order to graduate. Critics maintain that the exam does little to measure comprehension of material and creates an additional barrier to high school graduation. Supporters reason that students should need to meet to pass the exam if immigrants must pass the exam. And studies demonstrate too few students given the test pass it. So um, we'll talk a little bit more, but I'll finish with this paragraph here. The Joe Foss Institute and its affiliated uh, civics education in initiative have inspired over 30 states to establish civics proficiency requirement for high school graduation half of which have adopted some form of citizenship exam in those requirements. The initiatives additionally includes lesson plans and interactive online curriculum that promotes deeper understanding of civics concept. The civic education program at the Philanthropy Roundtable has also compiled a list of more organizations promoting civic engagement and education projects including many that provide middle and high school students opportunities to learn about civics and government and to engage in civic leadership activities. So there's also on Can Academy, um, there are uh, several uh, units on government and civics. The, the, the thing is, and I think for mothers, is to really understand what is being thought and when. And I think by the time you realize it, it's too late to make a difference. And I've lived through it with my kids in, in middle school and now graduating in high school and realizing they, they didn't learn, they didn't really learn a whole lot about specifically about civics and even being able to pass um, uh, the exam, so. Well, my kids have been fortunate enough because the beginning of this brief talked about classical education. Yes. And so where my kids go to school is a classical school. So, you know, they're studying the Minoan culture, Athens, Greece, they're running all the way through that. So that's an integral part of that. And those poor kids have been cursed with having me as a mom because they have to, I'm always asking questions about, okay, what would you be doing here and so forth. But I do, I think this is part of where educators play a big part of the love of history, right? If you have a really great teacher who is passionate about this topic, that is contagious for kids. And I think, I think it's really important. I think we, we sideline sometimes the humanities and history going, oh, we, and I know STEM is important, don't get me wrong, but I think we have to understand where we've come from and why we value that so much. Because I think then that determines where we go in the future. 
Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I think sometimes we, it can be a little too late. For, yeah, for when we realize it's important, or, or I feel like there's missed opportunities to incorporate some concepts of civic engagement throughout the curriculum. It doesn't have necessarily have to be, it has to be one, one course, but it can also be part of the social studies course where you're not just looking at the news, you're also looking at what's the role of citizens in here, what are the government structures, and always you have to repeat it multiple times. It can't just be one study one discussion on the three branches of government in eighth grade and a visit to DC and you're like, check the box done. So, right. no. well, and civics engagement is not political. It doesn't, everybody thinks if you mention that, well, then it's political and no, it's not. It's an understanding, as you said, the framework in which we work under, and then you can, then you can look at differing ideas on that framework and then you make your decision. But you know, it's alarming when you think kids can't tell you what the three branches of government are. That's yeah. just, you know. Yeah. So why don't you take on the civic uh, citizenship academies? Local leaders are in charge of developing policies and initiatives that impact the day-to-day -day lives of citizens in their communities. But lack of communication between residents and municipal leaders is common and often leads to confusion or misunderstandings. Opportunities to bridge those gaps and foster a deeper sense of appreciation are powerful means of engagement. And one such method is through Citizens Academies, featured on the International City County Management Association website. ICMA is an association of professional city and county managers and other employees who serve local governments. A Citizens Academy is a course or program that teaches residents about their local government and encourages them to engage by supplying residents with clear and reliable information about government services and developing their community leadership skills. These citizen academies are often organized by city management, such as boards of county commissioners, administrators, and community involvement and affairs coordinators. In communities across the country, local governments and residents serving on boards and commissions teamed up to form their own citizen academies to teach residents how their communities function and encourage residents to engage and communicate with municipal leaders. In Massachusetts, the Citizen Academy prompted community residents to serve on community committees and boards. In Ohio, Mistrust of the local government was replaced by greater understanding and more frequent interactions between municipal leaders and residents. In North Carolina, residents came away with a better understanding of city planning, investments, projects, and resources. In Pennsylvania, local business owners and even college students have participated in Citizens Academy sessions to learn how residents can further engage in their communities. It is this kind of civic engagement that reflects a capacity for constantly bettering our environments. I think this is really interesting, uh, and it's it's a really interesting concept, and I think one that you know would be a great one to spearhead in a, in a in a city in a community, um, certainly in Chicago. So increasing voter participation. Um, so so that's a whole other uh, topic. According to Archon Fung, professor of citizenship and self-government at a Harvard Kennedy School of Government, the vote is the most fundamental act of American democracy, and yet very few of us actually turn out to vote. Fung believes a goal of 80% participation is the equivalent of the moonshot, moonshot for American democracy. 
Policy solutions include education initiatives and for people where and when to vote. Some have also called for declaring election day a national holiday. Others suggest moving elections to weekends would be far simpler than an entire day off during the week. And a day off would not be necessary if voters had more opportunities to get involved, such as through mail-in ballot system in all states or by implementing automatic or same-day voter registration across the country, which is a really controversial kind of issue. And we have a brief on election integrity and, and all of that, all of that, what that entails. Um, besides policy initiatives, changing civic culture also plays an important role as not only a part of civic responsibility, but also a key part of promoting equality and making government responsive and restoring trust in government. Voting embodies civic engagement, yet many view voting as a chore rather than a celebration of democracy. In the private sector, more companies are getting involved to change that view and make voting easier and more convenient. Uh, democracy Works launched a campaign to give employees election day off, and 300 companies pledged to enact policies that ensured employees at least had time to vote. Uber and Lyft have also offered free or discounted rides to polling locations on election day to ensure barriers like lack of transportation are not an issue for voters. The U.S. Elections Project explores in-depth U.S. voter participation and the Center for America, American Progress Increasing Voter Participation in America further explores policy to drive participation and make voter uh, more convenient. So, um, so voter turnout is a big issue, and, uh, and that's one way of engaging is really getting young people to register to vote, informed, making them informed voters. Um, I know my daughter is going to try to start a policy circle with first-time voters um, in the, her high school. Um, but Kim, perhaps you have other ideas given your uh, all your involvement and everything. You know, I think kids model what they see modeled at home. And so I think it's really important as parents. I mean, if kids don't see their parents voting, um, I think they don't see the value themselves. You know, as, as I mentioned, um, you know, we're in this COVID-19 crisis here. I went back and I looked at what the voter participation was in electing the county commissioners in our area. It was like 16%. 16% of, of the people who are in the community that I live in made the determination on who was now closing down their stores, deciding how their kids would be educated. I mean, and, and I think that was a jolt for everyone. Yeah. Because I think there was a disconnect between that really doesn't impact me, so I'm not going to bother with it. It impacted everyone. So I, I truly believe, I mean, I'm a, I, the whole behavioral concept of when you follow data, I will be interested to see how this pandemic changes the way people view voting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's right. That's right. Because especially the, the decisions that are being made on our behalf and even here in Illinois, our representatives are not even meeting. So you, we don't even have a representation. Right. So the, the next section is what you can do. And uh, the first part is about starting a policy circle could be a very first step to better understanding the issues. And, and just briefly, the policy circle, the model is that 
you read a brief very much like this one, and you engage in a roundtable discussion. Ideally, a circle is started by three people, three women, who each invite one person, so you're six, then each invite one person, and that's 12. So you have a small group that's nimble, that can meet in different places, and, and the goal is to divide and multiply. The participant in your circle will then find a passion, find allies, may engage on an issue in, in a specific way, or may decide to focus their policy, uh, their focus on, on a very specific issue that's, um, that's in their lives. But it all starts with a conversation and with education. And the policy circle also becomes a forum to really invite, um, invite city officials, city managers, experts to heighten your education. So there's other steps, and maybe we can... Um, you know, go down to kind of uh, putting conversations to to work, and there's different steps here that are described in terms of your your civic engagement. Um, you know, uh, you know, and I invite you, everyone, to to read. And one of the one of the things that that came out here is one of the first step to become a civic leader is to go through this very intentional kind of roadmap or path of civic engagement. And it kind of starts with, does your community know your name, right? Do your neighbors know you? Do the owners of neighborhood shops, do, do, do you know them? Do religious leaders know you? Do the parents and, um, and uh, the parents of the kids where your kids go to school know you? Kind of who knows you? And, and maybe, Kim, you could talk to that, the importance of just knowing your, your neighbors and your block and, you know, civic engagement is also organizing the ice cream social in your, in your neighborhood. Exactly. And I think this goes back to knowing what your gifts are. I think we are all uniquely gifted. And, you know, as I, I, I read through all of these things and we think about engagement, you know, for some of us as women, we will never, ever put our names on a ballot. That's just not the way we're wired. But you know what? We are very, we have the gift of hospitality. Well, guess what? You partner with another friend who wants to run for office and you have the gift of hospitality. You open up your home and bring in a bunch of people who you're connected with, then you are investing in that person. And I think um, then, then you become kind of the, that's the person who knows a lot of people. And if you're ever going to run for office, you need to get to know her because she is very well connected. And, and so I think we just have to look at what our gifts and skill sets are. Um, I also think if you talked about building relationships, you just have to be really authentic. If we're engaged in the lives of our kids, if we're, in, in, if we're engaged in the, the person who's living next door, I will say that's another thing that's been interesting. The people who you've had conversations with during COVID-19 are typically people you probably wouldn't have. I mean, not because you didn't like them or what, but everyone was so busy. So this has really just forced us to, to stop a little bit, find out about your neighbor, find out what's going on. And I think you just genuinely pour into people. I think you also have to be part of organizations. I mean, you look at a place of worship where you take your kids. Um, there's always places that you can be involved in in your local school district, whether you're in a private school, a public school, a homeschool setting. Um, I think those, those groups matter. Um, but I also think it's most important. I, once again, I go back, this is what you're modeling to your children. Yeah. I mean, they're sponges. They see what their parents do and that can be good or bad. Right. So, um, but, but even if you're an individual, you know, I'll just say this, my parents were not political. 
Um, I came from a very simple background, but I think I was just kind of wired for it. You know, I mean, I always ran for student council or student body president, or um, maybe it was because I was very much an extrovert and had a strong opinion. But I, I know that all of these things for things to work in a community need all different types of gifts of people. And I think you just have to look at what your gift is and see how can I pour that into my community that I love and care about. Yeah. I think like uh, in conclusion, you know, the, the last part of this brief in terms of how you can get engaged, it also brings, and we've talked about that, about knowing your local government and understanding how it functions before you really get engaged, you understand who is doing what, because chances are there's probably a task force or a committee that is already in place to address some of the issues or concerns that, that your problem that you think need to be fixed and where you could really deploy your talents. The other piece that's interesting here is to develop your financial acumen. You know, you need to kind of follow the money and understand, well, how can things get funded? Because at the end of the day, a lot of times that is could be the barrier or the opportunity for, for, for doing change. We had a conversation about bringing financial literacy you know, into, into the schools. And then, well, you kind of need to understand and be able to understand budgets and functioning. And that's a piece of skill set that is critical, especially for women to develop and, and be comfortable in, in a public setting is, is building that out. Um, the, the other one is, and I, and Kim, you touched on that is knowing, um, how the most vulnerable are assisted in your community. That's, mm -hmm. that's something else that, that you can really be intentional in saying, well, how, how are the homeless uh, you know, helped? How are the elderly helped? How are, are the, the, the um, people with intellectual disabilities? How are they made members of our communities? I think like you can take the veterans, the immigrants, the welcomers. You, you, you can really start looking at the most vulnerable in your communities and how are they made part invited to be productive members of the community. And you need to be intentional, I think, in defining your path to civic engagement to some extent. Well, and you know, Sylvie, to, to, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think for many of us and those folks who might be listening to, to this, you mentioned our most vulnerable. Those folks need a voice. And oftentimes, um, they don't know how to do it, but you can be that voice for them. And, and, and I would also, I just, I want to say to people, don't think you have to know everything. I didn't. I mean, 20 years ago, the only thing I did know is that I knew something needed to change. I knew what was happening was wrong. And the things that I learned through that entire process, not just about filtering technology, but relationships that I build or how politics works and so forth, I learned that. Um, but I think if, you, if your heart is in the right place, if you really believe and have a passion towards something, you can make a tremendous difference. You don't have to know everything in order to move forward. Um, I'm continuously a lifelong learner, even at my age. So, yeah. And I think if you don't have a passion, and that's the whole idea of the policy circle, is that you discover that the, the goal is to ignite, um, ignite your leadership that, that is there within each of us and, and uh, discover a path to really have an impact. So, well, thank you, Kim, for being part of this 
conversation, which I feel is really timely, actually, in time that we, uh, in this COVID time, and inspiring and hopeful. And uh, and uh, I hope um, you know this will really enrich uh, everyone's participation in their community and uh, going forward. So thank you, Kim. Thank you so thank much. You. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. This project is a collaboration with the Policy Circle. You can find more information at thepolicycircle.org. You can also find additional information and show notes at theCivicLeader.com and on Instagram at theCivicLeader. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast and working to make your community, state, country, and world a better and more wonderful place.